It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. And welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese. Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FIDRA and CIPIC. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. Today, I'm definitely ready for spring. <laughs> this weekend, the, the daytime temperatures will be in the mid-60s. And the last remnants of the snow have disappeared. Winter is over. Okay, that's not really true, but <laughs> you can, I feel that way anyhow. Even if we can get some snow before the official start of spring on March 20th, it probably won't last. And things are becoming alive at my place. The birds at my place are returning. The morning doves, the bluebirds, the robins, they've all joined the usual crowd of cardinals and Nut hatches and uh, downy woodpeckers and red-bellied woodpeckers have stayed over the winter. And this week, I saw the red-winged blackbird. And according to one of my clients, they're the gold standard of the start of spring. And I'm looking at the Canadian geese. They're out in the backyard by the pond. And the pond is still frozen, but it's, it's clear water around the edges of it. And they're all ready to start setting up their nests at the edge of the pond. And with the warming weather, we should see the green shoots appear in the garden soon. Uh, hopefully, it'll be rather soon, maybe in the next two weeks. And uh, I still have my to-do list for outside chores ready when it finally warms up and it dries out a little bit. But until then, we can work on our tax returns or look at our investments and check on our financial planning. Well, this week, we saw the destruction of a modern European nation uh, with the Russian artillery and aircraft destroying civilian communities and uh, basically all in an effort to destroy the morale of the uh, Ukrainian population. 
We saw millions of refugees driving and walking and riding trains towards Poland and other Western nations. It was a, basically a lesson that nations have to be prepared to defend themselves. Uh, from According to the former president, Robin uh, Reagan, we maintain the peace through our strength and because weakness only invites aggression. So this week, as Russia continued this invasion of Ukraine, uh, global equities fell for the week, while the U.S. and NATO have disclaimed have declared that they won't commit uh, combat ground troops or combat aircraft to protect the uh, Ukraine, both the U.S. and NATO nations are committed to supply the Ukrainian armed forces with defensive weapons and have instituted financial and trade sanctions that have, uh, have the potential to cripple the Russian economy with a recession comparable to uh, Russians' uh, debt default in 1998. That's according to a report from J.P. Morgan. And uh, in the United States, all three of the uh, major stock indices were down for the week. In the U.K., the FTSE 100 was down approximately 5% for the week. In the European Union, uh, the German DAX was down, uh, I think it was 8%. For the week, and the stock uh, Europe 600 was down about five percent. That's where generally Europe is where the stocks took the worst beating uh, because basically they're closest to the action. In Asia, you know, Japan's Nikkei 225 was down about two percent, while Hong Kong's Hang Seng uh, was down about two percent also. On Friday, our three major stock indices closed at. The Dow Jones closed at 33,614.80. It was down 1.3% for the week. And the standard of poor 500 closed at 4,328.87. It was down 1.27 for the week. And the NASDAQ closed at uh, 13,317.44. And that was down 2.75%. Uh, uh, for the week, you know, and while the while the stock market began their decline the first week in January, with concerns about whether the Federal Reserve uh, could reduce the latest inflation uh, of approximately 7.5 percent without causing a recession, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine has added to the market volatility. The European Union and the UK are seeing more volatility than the U.S. because they're, they have much more trade and energy connections to, to Russia. Um, this week, commodities had a volatile week with wheat, metals, and oil setting record highs. And the uh, Brent oil, which is the, uh, the outside world measure of oil, was up to $115 a barrel, and that was from $92 a barrel last week. I think the... Uh, the Western Texas Intermediate, I think, was up to about 112. The U.S. economy is exposed to Russia and the Ukraine, mostly through energy trades. And uh, yeah, Russia is a major supplier of oil and gas supplies. If you take a look at their uh, the rest of the world, Russia supplies uh, 12% of the world's oil. 
and 17% of the national gas, and uh, a lot of that goes to Europe. Uh, the war and the Western uh, financial sanctions uh, results have disrupted supplies and pushed up prices on these and other commodities. But the economists are not forecasting a big hit to the U.S. economic growth from this effort because basically we're isolated, uh, uh, you know, from the uh, uh, from the situation because uh, the uh, we're energy independent in terms of uh, uh, our ability to have natural gas and uh, oil. And also, uh, uh, we're one of the big crop exporters in the world in terms of uh, where the uh, the foodstuffs go. So the United States is really in a good position with regard to to withstanding uh, any of the sanctions that the uh, Russians have proposed, or we have proposed on the Russians, and the Russians are counter-proposing on us. Um we're in a much better position than Europe uh, regarding these sanctions. The, the sanctions are resulting in volatility in the commodities markets for oil, natural gas, wheat, barley, uh, palladium, aluminum, and potash. Um, that will add to the inflation pressures that the United States is, in, is in, in experiencing uh, now. Uh, for instance, the uh, Consumer Price Index, we've talked about this previously, the, the Consumer Price Index uh, in January, uh, year over year, for the last uh, 12 months ending in January, was up at 7.5%. And if you uh, exclude uh, energy and uh, uh, food from that, it drops down to 6.0%. And the Federal Reserve uses another measure, uh, which they call the personal consumption expenditure uh, process. And uh, their numbers for January came in at uh, 6.1% over the last uh, 12 months and 5.2% if you exclude uh, uh, food and fuel. So... um, all of this, in other words, we originally started the year with the, the uh, uh, stock market coming down in anticipation of, of uh, uh, concerns or, or fear about what the Federal Reserve could do. And we have a strong economy. Uh, we've got a tight labor market. We've got good earnings, and the earnings are continuing to be good. Um Good in the sense that uh, the uh, uh, earnings in the fourth quarter uh, last year were, uh, I think it was uh, four or five percent above the third quarter, and there was something like forty percent above the uh, fourth quarter of the year before. So the earnings are there, the earnings are going up. Uh, the managers in the uh, uh, the Standard and Poor 500 are controlling their earnings by passing along all the uh, costs onto the next guy, uh, which helps us as uh, stockholders, but doesn't help us as consumers because we're at the bottom of the end. Of, we're down at the bottom of the hill, and we get hit with all these cost increases. But uh, what you're going to see is that uh, right now, 
the, the Federal Reserve is going to have a ticklish time in terms of trying to control inflation uh, with these uh, increased prices in uh, uh, the energy uh, and as well as the uh, uh, minerals. So the Federal Reserve chairman, uh, he met uh, this past week with Congress, uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate, and uh, uh, in remarks prepared for dual uh, appearances, before the House and Senate committees, the central bank chief acknowledged the tremendous hardship of the Russian invasion of Ukraine is causing. Um, quote, the implications to the U.S. economy are highly uncertain and we'll be monitoring the situation closely. You know, just to go through some of the uh, direct comments he had there to Congress, the near-term effects for the U.S. economy uh, the invasion of the Ukraine, the ongoing war, the sanctions, and uh, events to come remain highly uncertain. Uh, making appropriate monetary policy in this environment requires a recognition that the economy can evolve in unexpected ways. We need to be nimble in responding to incoming data and evolving uh, outlooks. <clears throat> so, uh, what are you saying? In effect, what he did say, in effect, is we will use our policy tools as appropriate to prevent higher inflation from becoming entrenched while promoting a sustainable expansion and a strong labor market. Uh, We have phased out our uh, net asset purchases. That was the, just to elaborate, that was the, what he's referring to there, the Federal Reserve was buying $120 billion a month in U.S. Treasuries and uh, mortgage-backed securities from Fannie and Freddie. They wrapped that up, uh, or will we'll wrap it up uh, March 9th, and, uh, and then he continued on with inflation well above 2% in the strong labor market. We expect it will be appropriate to raise the target range for the federal funds rate at our meeting later this month. <clears throat> What he's referring to there is that uh, the Federal Open Market Committee meeting will be held the 15th and 16th. So uh, Wednesday, the 16th of March, you'll hear uh, what they intend to do in terms of increasing their uh, uh, federal funds rate. That's the overnight rate. And basically, uh, originally uh, in, in September, they talked about increasing the rates, and they were talking in terms of 1% per year. Uh, they would raise it in one-quarter percent increments over the course of the year, and they would do that for two years. Um, at the latest uh, uh, meeting in January, uh, the Federal Reserve uh, uh, addressed a question about whether they would uh, – stick with a 1% per year for two years. And the response was that uh, the economy is strong. And that was the beige book came out this week, which shows that the economy, as far as they're concerned, is very strong. And uh, that the labor market is very tight. And that there was a lot of leeway in how much they could raise the uh, uh, the federal funds rate. Um uh, so everybody took that to mean, well, I guess 1% is 
is no longer on the table. What is the number? And we'll hear about the number on the 16th, but uh, expectations are that it'll be probably in the order of uh, one and one quarter to one and one half, uh, even if it's one and one half percent over the next year. Uh, over the two-year period, it'll, it'll be three percent. So basically, in the in a gross estimate, all your interest rates will go up by three uh, percent within that two-year period. So he did continue that. Uh, Powell said that the likely path for rate hikes will be increments of a quarter percentage point although he said he would be open to more aggressive moves if inflation gets worse. So uh, he's saying that the first increase on the 16th will be a quarter percent, and uh, then we'll see maybe in the summertime you'll have to uh, bump it up by uh, uh, the uh, half a percent. Quote, we're going to avoid adding uncertainty What is what to what is already an extraordinary challenging and uncertain moment, he said under questioning from the uh, House uh, Financial Services Committee members, quote, to the extent that inflation comes in higher or is more persistently higher than that, we will be prepared to move more aggressively by raising the federal funds rate by more than 25% at a meeting in the future. Uh, basically, the Fed will start uh, cutting the size of its asset holdings after rate hikes have begun. So uh, Powell said that the reductions in the uh, – this is basically where they sell uh, a portion of the bonds that they've accumulated uh, ever since the, uh, the housing crisis in 2008. So – uh, they were they bought a lot of bonds at that time. They also bought a lot of bonds when the COVID hit in March of 2020. So they'll, they said that they'll be selling them in a predictable manner, largely through allowing some proceeds from the bonds to roll off each month rather than reinvesting them. Uh, on the economy, Powell said that he still expects inflation to decelerate uh, through the year as supply chain issues are resolved. He called the labor market extremely tight and noted uh, strong wage gains, particularly for low, uh, lower earners and minorities. Uh, quote, he said, we know that the best thing we can do is to support the strong labor market is to promote a long expansion, and that is only possible in an environment of price stability. So uh, what you see there is that uh, he's talking to Congress. He's going to start raising the rates uh, the 16th of March. Uh, the first rate increase will be one quarter of a percent. And the 16th, he'll probably tell us how much he's going to raise it uh, this year and next year. Uh, that will be uh, that'll be helpful in terms of the stock market, uh, because one of the big things that uh, uh, concerns that started this downtrend at the start of the year uh, was that uh, would the Federal Reserve become so focused on curing inflation that it uh, uh, derailed the economy, U.S. economy, into a recession. So he's basically telling Congress that, hey, we 
we are going to try to protect the economy as best we can, even in light of this other situation, this uh, this Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So, uh, you know, the 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 basic uh, direction there is they know what they're doing, and they'll. Uh, uh, they'll try to uh, keep the, I think they'll try to keep the inflation, um, move it down and uh, without harming the economy, because basically they know that the United States has spent over uh, $9 trillion in getting this economy back on the track again. And uh, if we end up with a recession, this term is recession, they turn this recovery into recession, uh, it'll be a monstrous uh, mistake and a black eye for the Federal Reserve, too. So uh, if we turn our attention to the U.S. economy, you know, other than keep getting away from uh, what the Fed is going to do in the future, uh, the U.S. economy is growing stronger as we basically shake off this uh, Omicron uh, pandemic. Uh, People are going back to work. Uh, Life is returning to normal again. Uh, several large corporations, I think Google and Apple, have posted uh, uh, dates in, uh, I think it's March or April, where they want their people back in the office. Uh, what we're looking at is the economy is strong, the labor market is tight. Uh, the latest results for February from the Department of Labor show the payroll growth of uh, uh, 678,000 in uh, February. That was significantly higher than the uh, uh, consensus expectation of 390,000 new jobs, and the unemployment rate fell to 3.8% in February from uh, 4% in January. Um, The expectations are that uh, maybe it'll take uh, another three or four months before it gets down to 3.5%. Uh, where it was before the uh, COVID hit. We're going to talk about that uh, labor situation and the labor market later in the show. And the uh, uh, more good news regarding the economy is that the factories are humming. Uh, Basically, if you look at the increases in uh, factory orders for, for January, they were up 1.4% from December, and December was up uh, seven-tenths of 1% from the previous month from November. And basically what you're seeing is orders of manufactured goods have increased uh, 20 out of the last 21 months. And what you're seeing now is the uh, uh, the airlines have come back on, on Boeing has come back on track in terms of um, manufacturing the aircraft, so uh, the backlogs are beginning to increase, and we'll also talk about that later in the show. And uh, the Institute of Supply Management, as well as a market corporation, uh, they've posted their uh, surveys of managers in the manufacturing industries, and they both show uh, strong growth in manufacturing. So um, one of the things we, we see in this in this uh, big picture is that 
The U.S. economy is strong. Um, the earnings are there. Uh, the, the stock market is uh, 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 is wrestling with uncertainty with regard to the inflation and how the Federal Reserve is going to handle it, together with all the concerns about uh, the inflationary pressures that are coming out of the sanctions uh, that we're applying to uh, Russia. So uh, is it a time of doom and gloom? No, because the economy is strong, the earnings are strong, uh, we've got some headwinds, we've got some problems. Uh, people are uh, looking at the stock market going down and wondering whether it's time to sell. And uh, you just have to be careful and you think rationally, uh, no matter how overwhelming a, a market fluctuation may be, pulling money out of the market when you're portfolio is tending downward is one way to guarantee that your losses will become permanent. So if you take a look at history and you've got to realize that a past performance is no guarantee of future results, there's good reason to look at the past performance of the markets over the long haul and say that uh, long-term trends and the overall historical returns, you see that the market inevitably tends upward and uh, knowing that the market will eventually recover doesn't, doesn't make your short-term losses and volatility any more fun to live through, but it makes it easier to put the monetary losses that you're experiencing in some context. So savvy investors who didn't panic during the market corrections of 2008 basically saw their portfolios recover immensely over time. So uh, what you do is, is realize that uh, uh, the market hates uncertainty. And what we're, what we're seeing right now is a lot of uncertainty. Don't let it obscure your view of, of a strong uh, national economy and strong earnings. So um, this is Jim McAleese. Uh, you're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. That's 1-888-281-1110. Stay tuned. I'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow.
Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call. Our toll-free number is 1-888-281-1110. You know, when we take a look at the big picture, uh, you know, it's confusing, to say the least. Uh, The the important part, though, is that... uh, we only look at that from the viewpoint of what it is doing to our investments and what it is due to our savings and things of this nature. But in the in the more rewarding picture, that's a, a picture of our financial plans, our personal financial plans, the ones that uh, uh, where we've taken into account the goals of the family in terms of the standard of living and the uh, the uh, education of the children and the, the raising of the children and the uh, retirement and all the rest of the things. That is that is the most important thing, and that's our personal financial plan. And basically, <clears throat> when you look at it, uh, we can pretty much identify the goals that we have in life. Uh, if you're 18, you're interested in a uh, a car and an apartment. Uh, if you're graduating from college, you're interested in a job that might have a, some sort of a career for the future. Uh, if you're uh, starting a family, the question of, uh, of uh, you know, is somebody going to stay home and mind the children or, or the children, is there daycare of affordable daycare for the children, uh, the home, how much is the house going to cost, and where's the down where's the payment going to come from, uh, the uh, standard of living. In other words, basically, our greatest asset generally is our uh, salaries and our uh, paychecks. So we got to be able to portion a certain portion of that to keeping up the standard of living today and tomorrow also to uh, plan for the future, the cost for the future. One of the biggest ones is retirement. But there's also a lot of other things before retirement that are, uh, does the house need repairs? How much? Uh, should you get another house? Um, um, if you can afford it, do you, can you afford a vacation home or a boat or things of this nature? And then basically, the financial plan puts a number on all those things. Uh, how much should come out of uh, your present uh, income in, in terms of uh, savings? Uh, where should it be invested? How much should it make in order to get the get you to your goal? If it's the education of your youngsters, the college costs, if it's the uh, helping your youngsters uh, set up in a business, if it's uh, your retirement, uh, you can set up streams of income that, that to support those goals and and uh, uh, stay on top of the plan to ensure that it's operating and make making corrections uh, to places where it's not operating correctly or and to uh, take into account new uh, goals. You know, and uh, the plan gives you a good feel a good roadmap uh, for staying on course in 
not giving uh, running off into a rabbit hole somewhere in terms of uh, oh I want a new vacation home or I want to do this or I've got this get rich quick scheme or uh, things of that nature. Uh, you can always sit down and say how much is this going to cost and can I afford it? What do I want to give up uh, that I've sat down and, and decided that I want this in the future and now you're going to sit down and decide that you're going to give that up for some other um, goal that you've seen. And it gives you a foundation for being able to sit down and compare them apples to apples. You're giving up something to get something uh, that you want more at the present time. So uh, the financial plan is a plan that gets you, provides a roadmap to you uh, that you can follow and you can know how it, how it was developed and you can see how you can augment it as time goes on. So you are in control of your uh, financial destiny and control of the, of the family uh, financial destiny. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a, uh, a big, big improvement over uh, let's spend the paycheck and uh, uh, let's uh, live happy until the end of the month and then we'll uh, charge some on the charge account and figure out how to pay for it later. So, to me, it's, uh, it's necessary in every uh, family. And uh, basically, that's what we do here. And the reason we keep track of all the things that are going on in the nation is because uh, our investments really depend upon how the economy is is uh, progressing, and how it's overcoming its obstacles, uh, how it's making its earnings, because indeed the, the stock market uh, looks at the earnings and estimates what those future earnings are going to be. And, and uh, that's the, uh, the the money that is willing to pay for the uh, stock. It's your price to earnings. Uh, and uh, if there's uh, concerns with regard to uh, uh, foreign affairs or uh, local uh, economy, uh, affairs in the economy like inflation, uh, that always clouds the market and causes concern. And the way investors react to concern is that uh, uh, they uh, they run from risks to uh, what they perceive as safety. And uh, the, uh, the idea there is that you have to know what's going on in that economy to know what to do. So uh, this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Low. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAlee. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Well, if the information with regard to the economy 
came from the Department of Labor, and that released its uh, employment situation report for February. Uh, it was startling, and it showed a, uh, a non-farm payroll growth in, in February that jumped to 678,000. And that was significantly more than the uh, consensus expectations of 390,000. In addition, there was a uh, uh, revision to the job numbers for January and December uh, with upward revisions of 92,000 uh, jobs. They weren't counted in those uh, months. And uh, uh, January's uh, numbers were revised from 467,000 to 481,000, and December's were revised from 510 to 588,000. So, you know, if you take a look at uh, uh, the numbers uh, for last year, uh, the uh, average monthly growth gain for 2021 was 555,000 jobs per month. And uh, that basically uh, employment increased by 19.1 million since uh, April of 2020. Uh, but we're still down from the um, the uh, jobs that were there before we went into the uh, the uh, COVID, uh, either the Delta or the Omicron. The number uh, of cases comes like waves in the. Omicron uh, variant appeared in November, but November and December payroll growth was uh, still up. In addition, after the COVID uh, pandemic started in March of 2020, um, there's been a, uh, what you find is that there's a lot of people that retired and probably won't return uh, to the work environment. So the Department of Labor also reported that the unemployment rate Rose by by the decreased uh, two tenths of a percent to three point eight percent in February, and the number of unemployed persons fell uh, in uh, before COVID. The unemployment rate was three and a half percent, and the number of unemployed was uh, five point seven million. Whereas right now the unemployment rate is three point eight percent. And the number of unemployed is 6.3 million. So, uh, what you're seeing is that there's more jobs than there are unemployed. The latest numbers of jobs that were posted, uh, open positions that people would, uh, could fill, uh, was somewhere in the order of 10 and a half million, uh, at the end of uh, last month. And, uh, that basically what you're saying is, what you're seeing is that, uh, Employers are trying to hold on to their workers as much as they can, and the number of layoffs has decreased. Uh, there was uh, unemployed last week for the week of February 26th. The unemployment number was 215,000 new applications for unemployment. And what you're seeing, if you look and say how many people are on the state unemployment rolls right now from week to week, it stands at uh, 1,476,000. So those numbers have been going down, down, down uh, each month. And uh, uh, the report shows that manufacturing 
in February picked up 36,000 more jobs. Construction was way up, uh, 60, an increase of 60,000 jobs. And construction has been, uh, construction is basically reached, home construction has basically reached the limits of what can be produced, you know, because of shortages in manpower, uh, delays in um, the uh, supply chains with regard to equipment and, and, and uh, cabinets and just about everything. And also, uh, commercial construction has picked up. So you know, the construction industry saw a decrease of 60,000 new jobs last month. And mining, uh, uh, mining, which also includes gas and oil exploration, picked up uh, 9,000 jobs uh, last month. And uh, it, 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 if you look at the rest of the economy, uh, the private sector uh, economy, which includes just about everything, retail, wholesale, trade, transportation, warehousing, all of that uh, added 549,000 jobs. If you take a look at the details, uh, employment and leisure and hospitality, which really took a beating during the COVID uh, pandemic, the COVID and the Delta and the Omicron, uh, pandemic uh, that continued to increase in February. It was a gain of 197,000 jobs. Uh, food and drinking places added 124 of the 179, and accommodations added uh, 28,000. If you take a look at that overall leisure and hospitality, hospitality group, they're still down one and a half million. Uh, from the pre-COVID time. If you take a look at professional and business services, uh, in February, they added 95,000 jobs. And uh, the jobs, the gains occurred in temporary help. That was 36,000. Management of companies, 12,000. Management and technical services, 10,000. Scientific research, 8,000. And... Uh, if you take a look at the uh, employment in professional and business services, that has grown since uh, the COVID hit. In other words, it's up uh, close to 600,000 jobs higher than in February of 2020. And uh, uh, the jobs in computer systems design, 154,000. Uh, consulting services, 152,000. So each each area that you look at, let's look at construction. Uh, construction added that 60,000 jobs in February, and about uh, three-quarters of the overall monthly gain occurred in the, what they call the specialty trade uh, contractors, and basically uh, plumbing and heating and air conditioning and wiring and things of this nature. So... Uh, the residential part went up 24,000, and the non-residential uh, part went up 20,000. So uh, if you take a look at construction employment in general, it's about 11,000 less than the uh, it was before the COVID. In transportation and warehousing, increased 48,000 in February. And basically, that's 
um, transportation and warehousing jobs are 500 positions are 584,000 higher than they were before the COVID. So what you're seeing is uh, um, warehousing and storage, 11,000 couriers and messengers, 9,000 support activity. I don't know what that is, 9,000. Air transportation, 7,000. So uh, what you see is that uh, uh, job growth in warehousing and storage is increased uh, 420,000 above what it was before the uh, the COVID hit. And that's, you're seeing everything go to, you know, e-commerce and things of this nature. So that puts a heavy reliance on uh, transportation and warehousing. So, and we can go down through the list, but the general idea here is that uh, jobs are available. The labor market is tight. Uh, one of the things that uh, surprised people was that the uh, uh, the wages had not gone up uh, for February. In other words, basically what we were seeing previously was that the wages over the last 12 months uh, had gone up something like uh, 5% the last 12 months ending in January. But in uh, February, uh, the... Uh, the wages uh, stayed approximately flat, and uh, there wasn't any increase in wages in the, you know, the, the amount, the dollars per hour in February that we've seen in the previous month. Uh, don't know what that means. It might just mean that uh, the Department of Labor missed a step there. I don't know, though. Uh, you also see the same thing increase in um, the factory orders. Factory orders are up 1.4% in uh, January from December, and uh, and they were up uh, seven-tenths of 1% in December from November. And the orders for, uh, for January increased $7.6 billion or 1.4%, to $544.2 billion in uh, January. That's the number of of uh, orders, the, the, the amount of the orders that were placed, and the shipments uh, increased a comparable amount. The shipments increased uh, 6.2 billion or 1.2 percent, and uh, that followed in a seven-tenths percent increase. So, what you're seeing there is basically the economy is getting stronger and stronger, and if you take a look at the Year over year, one year, January of 2020 versus uh, 2021, or I'm sorry, 2022 versus 2021, uh, manufacturer jobs orders were up 15.1%, uh, and durable goods orders uh, were up 16.5%. Uh, uh, you look at steel. And aluminum up 20, close to 21%. Uh, fabricated metals up 11%. Machinery uh, was up 15%. It was up 2.6% in January, um, from January, from in January, from December. So uh, the big numbers there were basically uh, 
uh, oil and gas uh, exploration, uh, construction, uh, industrial uh, machinery was up 86% over the course of the last 12 months. Heating, ventilating, and air conditioning were up 30%, and uh, materials handling is up 37%. And you look at uh, computers and electronics, they were up 5% in the month of uh, uh, January versus December. So uh, uh, transportation equipment uh, over the course of the year was up uh, uh, 29%. The biggest increase there was not in motor vehicles. Motor vehicles is only up 6% over the last uh, uh, 12 months. But the aircraft uh, uh, orders were up something like over 1,000%. So the economy is getting back to normal. Uh, There's problems. There's problems in the automobile production because of the chips. Uh, they're producing automobiles, but they're sitting in wherever they can sit them, you know, in parking lots and, and places like that that are reasonably protected until they get their chips. So if you go into a, uh, I just went into a, a Harrison Ford, which is the Ford dealership in Wellington, and they had basically one car in the uh, showroom. It was a beautiful Mustang, but... Uh, to me, uh, you know, the, the place would uh, generally be well stocked, but that's the case of, and uh, 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 that's the case with uh, uh, automobile sales right now is that uh, they don't have the inventory, and uh, this has pushed up uh, used car prices. So, hey, those are problems. Uh, I guess they're good problems that to have because they're. There are problems where, you know, automobile prices have gone up phenomenally. I think they're up 15 16% over the past year. So, to me, uh, people are still buying. Uh, they, they complain about, people complain about inflation, and they're rightly so, because uh, the things that we need the most, which are basically food and fuel, uh, they've gone up uh, the most. And uh, energy has gone up 50% in the last year. Uh, food's gone up about 8%. In some cases, you're talking uh, meats and things of this nature, meats and poultry and things of this nature. It's gone up more than that. Uh, so we're seeing it, but we're still buying. And we're still buying houses and we're still buying cars. And, and uh, the economy keeps rolling right along. If you take a look at... Uh, uh, the, um, um, the manufacturing sector in total, uh, there's a couple of companies that track that. One is the Institute of Supply Management, and the other one is the Market Corporation with their uh, purchasing managers' index numbers. And uh, just to give you an idea of what the Institute of Supply Management, what their people are saying, is that uh, uh, in the computers and electronics, the electronics supply chain is still a mess, quote unquote. If you take a look at chemical products, strong sales growth as retail continues to return. If you take a look at transportation equipment, 
Demand for transportation equipment remains strong. Supply of transportation services continues to be a major issue for the supply chain. If you take a look at food and beverage, strong demand has continued beyond our traditional seasonal curves, coupled with continuing difficulty in procuring uh, procurement of ocean freight. Operating plans and management costs are our biggest challenge. Uh, if you take a look at machinery, uh, we have seen year-over-year revenue growth of about 10% due to markets coming back. However, in the automotive area, the, mid- the microchip shortage is causing a slowness in growth. Uh, fabricated metal products, demand for steel products has increased to historic levels driven by uh, uh, automotive and uh, and, uh, energy industry. So everywhere you look, uh, what you're seeing is improvements in uh, uh, demand and then gradual improvements in supply. Also, if you take a look at how people, the, the, the executives, uh, the managers in the manufacturing industry, they took a look at uh, this month versus last month, in other words, February uh, versus uh, January. And are your new orders and production and backlogs, how are they doing one month compared to the other? And basically, as far as new orders were concerned, 33% of the, uh, of the participants said that new orders were up in uh, February versus January. Six percent said they they were down. Uh, production twenty eight percent said increase. Eleven percent said decrease. Uh, backlog, uh, you know things that uh, uh, they can't get to yet. Uh, up thirty nine percent said it's up. Nine percent said that they were working down on their backlog. New export orders. Seventeen uh, percent said increased. Three percent said decreased. Everybody agrees that prices are going up. Uh, the managers say that 56 percent of the managers said that prices have gone up this last month. Five percent said that they've gone down. So employment uh, employment was kind of even, Stephen. Twenty two percent said it went up. Sixteen percent said it went down. Of course, with the increase in backlog, uh, what you're going to see is an increase in employment uh, sooner or later. So as far as manufacturing at a glance, uh, the new orders growing faster, production growing faster, employment uh, growing about the same, supply deliveries uh, slowing, uh, uh, prices uh, increasing, but at a slower pace than before. Backlog of orders growing faster. New export orders growing faster. So, what you see is a is a good picture if you're in the manufacturing industries. And next week we'll report on the service industries. But according to uh, uh, the uh, market corporation, the market corporation indicates that. Uh, uh, similar events in the sense that sharper new sales growth supports an upturn in output 
And according to their latest report, the seasonably adjusted IHS market U.S. manufacturing purchasing managers index posted 57.3 in February, up from 55.5 in January. The idea there being that 50 is a neutral point. Anything above 50 uh, is increased activity or expansion. Anything below 50 is contraction. Uh, the headline. So it, basically what we're seeing is good times as far as manufacturing, and I think uh, what we see is good times with regard to service. So things are going. This is Jim McAleese. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. It was once said that when people watch the evening news, the news reporter always opens their newscast with good morning or good evening and then proceeds to tell us why it is. So what you have to do is say that beautiful people always wear a smile and then invest in your mind, invest in your heart, invest in yourself. Until we meet again next week for more of Get This Flow. May God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.